Hey folks, this is Over Social number five. I am Mighty Mike McGee. And today's episode is about my dear, dear friend, Derek C. Brown. Derek, gosh, how do I even how do I even start talking about Derek? Uh, I met Derek in 2003. I didn't want to book him for the San Jose Poetry Slam as our headliner because I didn't know who he was. And we were trying to get somebody else who I really, really wanted to, to come feature uh, by the name of Kristen O'Keefe Aptowitz. And we were trying to get her, we were waiting on confirmation from her. So I told Derek when he asked to be our headliner uh, via email in 2003, I said, I said, uh, no, sorry, buddy. Um, we're booked up. There's no room for you in the inn. And then I ended up running into him that week, the week he would have performed. We ended up, we ended up booking Kristen. And the week that he would have performed, uh, he, I ran into him in San Francisco at the San Francisco Poetry Slam. And he was, you know, I, I think a little, we were both a little awkward because I kind of lied to him. You know, saying that we didn't have a spot for him to perform, and he was really looking forward to building a tour in the Bay Area. He's from Southern California. And I didn't think much of him. And then I ran into him again later that summer at the National Poetry Slam. And suffice it to say, he's been a big part of my poetry life ever since. A year later, we ended up doing a gig together down in Southern California, in Ojai, California, which is where basically C-list and D-list actors, uh, you know, a lot of Knots Landing, Dallas, episodes of Dynasty, that sort of thing, Love Boat, it's where they go to retire, Ojai, California. And Derek and I ended up doing a show with Aton Kadosh uh, at this at the Theater 150 in Ojai, California, and it was a spoken word show, we did two nights in a row, and there was a French girl there named Maureen, and she came to both shows, both nights. And we're like, what's a French girl doing in Ojai, California? And it turns out that she goes there every year because there's a family friend from Paris who lives there. And so she really wanted to get into film and television and uh, really enjoyed spoken word, really enjoyed American spoken word. And she ended up getting us booked at her university of Paris so Derek and I went to Paris, France, and uh, got to perform at the University La Sorbonne, uh, and that is where Derek basically became my big brother, my my older brother, my slightly older brother. And there's something about I always refer to him as Captain whenever we went on tour. Because he is the captain. He's the guy who just sort of, he's the hustler who just sort of takes charge, makes sure everything's in order. And, but the best part about Derek Brown is that he loves to laugh. Holy crap, does he love to laugh. I think he's always looking for a moment and a reason and excuse to laugh. He took good care of me in Paris. We were there for three days. Um, we don't, we'd known each other for about two years by the time we were in Paris. We'd known each other for about two years. 
and almost exactly two years. And we, I got sick. I drank some water or something. I did, I, I drank, what, oh, I was broke. Oh my gosh, I got to tell you this story too. Um, so uh, I was supposed to get a check in the mail the day before, a day, a day or two before our flight to Paris. I was supposed to get a check. I was supposed to get paid. And I was waiting on this, this, this check that was going to cover all my rent, cover all my bills. And it didn't show up until after I got on my flight. It showed up the day of my flight. So I missed out on getting this check. So I had $27 in my bank account. And this is in the days before real, you know, functional PayPal, functional like online uh, payments. And um, I have no money. I have $27 and I'm a very heavy smoker at the time. On my flight, I find out that they're selling $25 cartons of Marlboros. So instead of saving money for food, I decide that I'll go crazier if I don't have cigarettes for three days, which was true. I mean, it was absolutely true. And it was logically, it was a very sound investment. Uh, and then it, it, it multiplied into an even more sound investment because that carton then earned me some money because I was able to sell a couple of packs of Marlboros for uh, much more than they were worth here in Paris. People were fascinated with my American cigarettes that didn't have giant warning labels on them. <clears throat> so I had no money. I was broke. I was poor. And we were to meet uh, our, our contact, Maureen, the French girl from Ojai, uh, our contact in Paris. She met me at the airport and took me to her place. I was able to bathe, uh, which is something you really should do after a, a long flight. And more than four or five hours, you really should shower afterward because you smell like everybody else. And I end up showering, bathing, and then we go, we get some food. I see the Eiffel Tower for the first time. And then we're going to get on the bus and go meet Derek and uh, and Aton, who was also there with his father in Paris. We're going to meet them at uh, the Louvre, you know, the Louvre. Yeah, we're going to we're going to head over to the Louvre. Uh, we are going to head over to the Louvre and meet Derek. And so we get on the bus, we head over to the Louvre. And Maureen, at the time, she's just, like, paying my bus fare without even, you know, there's no mention of it or anything. She's just she's just paying. Uh, and it turns out throughout that whole trip, she ended up doing that sort of thing, just a sweet, kind student. Um, and so we get to the Louvre, and I have to explain to her that I have no money. I have plenty of cigarettes, but I have no money to get inside the Louvre. In my head, it was like, oh, museums are free, right? Because <laughs> I'm a moron. So I don't go inside the Louvre. There's a photograph of me in front of the famous glass pyramid in front of the Louvre. I, I took a selfie uh, in front of that. Uh, and that was it. That's all I got from the Louvre. Uh, I've been to the Louvre, uh, but I've not been inside the Louvre. Anyhow, it was in unseasonably warm day, very warm day. And I have no food, no, no, I mean, I ate, but I have no water, nothing. And so Derek finally comes out of the loop. He goes, hey man, how come you didn't come inside? And I was like, uh, yeah, no, yeah, uh, I'll explain later, you know. And um, 
And he goes, uh, man, I'm thirsty. He goes, you thirsty? I go, yeah, I'm really thirsty. And so we see this vendor, and there's all these people walking by. And on a cool note, um, I was really nervous about this trip, and I always look for certain signs. You know, it's my first trip to Europe. I had It was my first reason to get a passport. And so um, I end up, Zena, calm down. So I end up going, uh, uh, I end up noticing two girls walking by wearing Santa Clara University sweatshirts. And uh, I thought that was just so awesome that I was able to uh, see that that coincidence out in front of the Louvre, being that Santa Clara University is a place where I host poetry events all the time, and it is very near my house, I mean, within a few miles. Anywho, that was nice. Uh, Derek goes and he buys two bottles of water. And he's, he has this brilliant idea. He says, here's, here's what we're going to do. He goes, we'll buy two bottles of water, which are very expensive, from this vendor, the street vendor. And then we'll just refill them at this water, this drinking fountain. And I was like, God, Derek, you are, you are a gosh darn genius. Damn it. And so we do that. We, dr- we chug the first filtered water. And then we fill it from a drinking fountain three or four more times. Now, I've never been to Europe before, folks, and we're drinking from a public fountain, a public drinking fountain. And my guess is that there was a bacteria or thousands that my body was not used to. And this proceeded to make me very ill uh, from the belly button down for the rest of my trip. And if you know me, you know that I have spina bifida and I have... I don't have the strongest bowels as it is. So I hope you're not eating a meal right now. Uh, But suffice it to say, uh, accidents happened. And Derek was a goddamn champion. He took me... uh, I remember being on the subway in Paris, and I just had a moment of utter disgust. And Derek took a look at me, and he could tell right away that something was wrong. And then he could smell that something was wrong. <laughs> We're on a packed subway in Paris. And he just leads me off. And he does this sort of, you know, like, almost like he's got my hand and he's leading me out. And he's clearing a path so that I don't have to be embarrassed. It's just, just a really... It was one of the, it was that moment I realized like I'm going to be friends and I'm, I I I even I may even mention it on on this episode in my conversation with him but I wanted to spend some time to just say that that's the beginning of my friendship with Derek that was in 2005 and things have been that way for the most part ever since we've been on the road together I've spent more time with Derek Brown on the road than just about anybody else he's funny he's poignant he's he, he's He's a he's a, a real he's a real living boy. <laughs> and I remember getting out of the subway in Paris and feeling just embarrassed, just absolutely embarrassed because there's no way there was no way I had avoided everybody else around me knowing what what had happened. And um, it's not like this is the first time it happened to me, being that I do have spina bifida and that I do have a lot of nerve damage and that I am disabled. Um, however, and I do, you know, I do, I do wear adult undergarments, uh, disposable undergarments, uh, and, and have my whole life. Um, you can read about it on my Wikipedia. Uh, however, 
uh, I this time was different. It felt I, I was in a new place. I was, I was I was really truly fish out of water, and uh, big giant catfish out of water. And Derek took care of me, and we got out of the subway, and he just went into the first thing he saw was a giant Parisian McDonald's, and he pops in. He goes, "Wait here." He goes inside. He comes out. He hands me a Sprite. Then he goes back in. He says, don't go anywhere. He goes back inside and he comes out. He goes, okay, I got you all set up. And like he brings me into the bathroom. There's an attendant in the bathroom at the McDonald's, a huge, massive bathroom. And the attendant is blocking one of the stalls. And he goes, this one's yours. And Derek had basically set it up so that I wouldn't have to do any of the work in order to take care of myself aside once, you know, until, until I got inside. Uh, and then he waited outside for me. And uh, just made sure I was okay. And he took care of me. And it was the most like, I don't know. It's, 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 uh, it's something that family does, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's the guy who sees a fire and acts on it. A guy who witnesses a car accident and acts on it, you know. It doesn't just stand there. The first thought is not to pull out a phone and film it. And that's what I love about Derek Brown. So... It is with absolute pleasure that I introduce to you my friend, my brother, Derek Brown. And now let's go on location. Oh, hello, geezer. Hello, you little romp. We're recording. <clears throat> uh, this is... Uh, this is uh, over social, uh, and I'm sitting here with uh, my dear friend Derek Brown. Why won't you look me in the eye? <sighs> God damn it! God damn it! Uh, we are outside of Specs. Uh, I don't know the full. What's the full name of Specs? It is Specs Adler Museum. Specs Adler Museum, and it's uh, it's pretty awesome. It's 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 very divey, and apparently it was the first ever lesbian bar in San Francisco. Uh, according to according to our host this evening. Uh, and it is directly across the street from City Lights Bookstore and Vesuvio. It's, it's historic. It, yeah, tarot readings. Uh, it is historic. And Foot I had, fetishes. I just had some um, mediocre uh, <laughs> onion rings. You know? You know what? San Francisco is known for... <laughs> the mediocre onion rings. Uh, don't don't make it too bold. I'm, I'm trying try to show off. I'm really trying not to. <laughs> I'm really trying not to. It's very difficult. Uh, Derek Brown, I've known you for 19 years. Did you know that? Did you know that? Is that too long? Yeah. At 20, is it well, over? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the expiration, when I first looked at it, when I turned it over and looked at it, it said like 2023. Oh. And I was like, oh. that's way too long. Yeah. I'd that's way it, too long. I might probably make it October 22. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we got it. We got we got nine more months. Yep, this is it. This is it. <laughs> uh, do you remember when we? Uh, do you remember? Do you recall the moment where you thought I'm going to be friends with Mike Me? I think September 2022. <laughs> <laughs> That's when we're going to give it another shot. I um I don't remember the day we first met. I know I tried to do your show and you thought I was a chump, so you wouldn't let me yeah. do it. Yeah. But then I don't remember when you finally caved and we met. Well, only because I thought your middle name, the C in your middle name, stood for chump. So, uh, we met in San Francisco at the the 2003 San Francisco Poetry Slam, 
Grand Slam Finals. What was the venue? I don't remember. It was some bar that had a big, that had like a, it was like you go in, kind of like this one, kind of like Specs, where you go in and there's the long bar and then you keep going past it and then there's like a theater area. No, and I, I, I don't just don't remember it. But that was the night I met you and Joel Shamara. Oh, yeah, sweetheart. Yeah. And you were, I, I, you were, you, you were perturbed with me. It was obvious because you knew that I had not booked you for San Jose and you really wanted to do San Jose. But it wasn't like, it wasn't, it didn't last because then we ran into each other again that summer at Nationals in Chicago. And you were, that's when I knew you and I were going to be cool because you just handed me a bunch of books. You're like, here, take this, man. I was like, read this. Thanks. Yeah, read this. You want to know something about poetry? <laughs> read this. Um, Man, I don't think I was bummed that you didn't book me. I just wanted to try and be booked more. But well, that's, but that's the thing. And I've been there. Yeah. You know, I've definitely been there where you're just like, you're you're in Milwaukee and you well, know you, you know there are five gigs you can do in Milwaukee and you only get three of them and you're just like fuck. Why does everyone hate me? Why do people hate me? So. You, would you say you have a lot of friends? Yes, I think I've been not blessed with money, but blessed with friends. My mom has always said, like, she said, she's always said, Michael, you're the wealthiest person I know. Mm. And, uh, and I'm definitely the financially poorest person I know. Uh, but I'm, I'm actually fine with some semblance of poverty. I have absolutely no problem with it. Um, uh, because I know, I've noticed that when when i have had money i just had i just ended up with more stuff and then i had to move across the country again with all that stuff i have always wished financial ease for you and it's just hard but that's the thing right is that if 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 i can if i can make your if i can ease your mind and your heart at this very moment Mm -hmm. i'm fine oh i think you've always been fine i've never felt like you were like i'm out of food and water dude what do we do never been (laughs) look at me (laughs) like (laughs) I've never been out of food. I you know? have so much water. I, I have mean, a briefcase full of water. Yeah, uh, I'll eat crayons. You know what I mean? I will eat crayons. I'll break into an elementary school. You know, school. burnt sienna is actually cooked. Yeah, it is. It is. It's actually burnt. <laughs> um, do you, uh, so you, you say you, you've, you have a wealth of friends. I do, um, yeah, man. And from, from all walks of life too, right? You, yeah. You, you've, have you always been a pretty social person? I have a lot of children as friends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not allowed near them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, some rich, some tall. <laughs> <laughs> the, the kids, yeah. Yes. Like this kid's four foot four, and he's yeah, only man. six. I think the neatest thing poetry gives you is the friends in other countries and other states, and the, no, no one I know that is an artist in another state. It, like my buddy Matt in Atlanta runs the grocery on home, one of the best shows in America. And I'll probably see him once every year or two. And yeah. then we just razz each other and we see each other. And it's wonderful. Like that, that kind of friendship is, we both know it's in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And then we, we see you when you see it. And it's not like, Oh, Hey, you don't check in with me. So let's kill this friendship. It's like, it'll be so great when I see you again. Yeah. And that's a, a lovely feeling. Have you lost friends? And I mean, this is a separate question than from, from say romantic relationships, but have you lost friends because you didn't check in enough? You know what I mean? You know, no one's ever com- uh, confessed that. So I don't yeah. think so. I yeah. think almost everyone I know is somehow, unless they're military people and they don't do art or whatever, which who I still love, I'll see them whenever I go to Fredericksburg or, or Tennessee and 
it'll be just fine. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, no, no one's ever said like, hey, man, you never did the work. So, yeah, uh, I don't want to do this friendship anymore. Yeah. I no. mean, one poet and that's about it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, um, what happened there? Um, a lot of tension, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, feelings like um, like you didn't do enough to help me or honor me instead of easygoing feelings of like, man, it's so great to see you. Oh, it's so good. Let's just laugh. And uh, that sort of tension just, I think, can grind down a friendship. For sure. I think that's one of the things I've always appreciated about our friendship. Um, And and honestly, honestly, the moment I knew we were going to be friends uh, was at the uh, Theater 150 in Ojai, California. (laughs) Me, you, and Aton. That led to us going to La Sabon. Yeah, that led to us performing. And being like three of the first spoken word artists from America to perform yeah, there too. almost got in a fist fight at you that one. almost <laughs> did. It's the, the first time. It, I was like, man, it's my first time in Europe and I'll never be allowed back in thanks to Derek. Derek ruined it. Yeah. Um, I. It, it's, But it's also not the last time I had to like step in front, kind of like move in front of someone, like take up space between two people because I was pretty sure you were going to punch a poet in the face. Do you want to say what happened so I don't seem just like an <laughs> right, 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 right. Okay, so here's here. I'll, I'll reiterate the history that I remember. Yeah. We'll go back to you and Shamara are in Paris. Yes. You're in Paris. And we ran into Janet Fitch in the airport. And she was like, oh, you're the American poets. You're friends with Aton. And then that started a friendship with Janet Fitch, the author of Black Hole, uh, White Oleander. This was when you were... This was when... But th- but was that the trip when we were in Paris Same together? Trip. Oh, okay. I was like, "What are you doing?" She's like, "I'm just here. I'm for going myself. back. I'm going back further, right? Because you need to give the history of Ohio as to as to no 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 your first tour in Paris and how shitty it was. Oh my god, with Joel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was super shitty. <laughs> <laughs> it was really bad. I think a guy named Palot Lahat had booked us. Le Hot. And <laughs> the hot pilot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um and we showed up and he didn't show up and no one showed up and we we're at this bar going, Hey, what's going on with this show that we've spent a bunch of money to come to? Yeah. And they're like, Oh, sometimes they do it, sometimes they don't. It depends if he shows up and I was like, This piece of shit's already yeah. hated this dude. <laughs> yeah. And then we ended up drinking and you know, I remember you saying something about you guys ended up like sit like laying out on the the banks of the Seine, yeah, throwing bread at passing tourist boats, yes, and yeah. scr- and pretending to be asshole French people <laughs> to make a bad name for the French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was so it was so great. Joel's a great drinking buddy and artist and yeah. father. He really um, is. Now back yeah. then, and real teacher. hater of France. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so that's where it started. So that's where it started. So Pilote hosed you. I think you guys cut your trip short in Paris and ended up heading out to England. Yeah, and I wrote a poem called Last Night in Paris. Oh, yes. Which Jeffrey McDaniel said, like, you said in the poem, Paris, you are no longer the city of love. You are the city of eat shit or whatever. And he goes, isn't it the city of lights, not the city of love? I was like, well, it's known as the city of love. on, And then international, it's known as the city of lights, you know. Yeah. Uh, so maybe what does Jeffrey McDaniel know about poetry? He knows how to or geography. Take a shit in my mouth when I'm having a good time. Okay, <laughs> man, you told him. Um, but uh, so then we get to Paris. Uh, we get you know most expenses paid trip to Paris thanks to our friend Maureen, uh, and uh, we get to perform at La Sobon. And uh, but 
leading up to it, we find out that Maureen has booked, because she's not involved with the poetry community in Paris. She's thought it'd be she, so cool to put on a, a reading. What does it take? I don't know. Let's just yeah, do it. Let's just do it. Which is kind of how, like, that's my jam right there. I love that shit, you know? And so, and she's just such a nice, great human being and uh, young and, and just kind of new to everything. And, yeah. and so uh, she books us. She books me, you, and Eitan Kadosh. And then she also booked three French poets. Uh, and the only one who she knew by name was Pilote. So she booked Pilote, and she had and Pilote said, "Okay, fine. If you want us, three hundred and fifty euro each." And he showed up, expecting to get paid in advance because he saw that not very many people had showed up. And she only charged like five euro at the door, and there was like fifty <laughs> people in the building. You know, it was like she had she didn't even have enough to pay. At one of the poets, let alone a thousand fifty euro, it know? was amb- ambitious, and we felt for her because we, we put really on did. Shows. And we and so we, we really felt for her, and we were like, and she started crying, and we we're like, "What's the matter?" And she's like, "Pilote won't start the show until I give him and the other two poets their money." The other two poets were cool; they were kind of like so confused as to what was going on, and Pilote was just sort of being a dick about it. And yeah, his stance was like, artists must stand up for themselves to all these asshole promoters. Yeah. And I was like, this is a She's student a who student. loves poetry that yeah. thought it'd be neat to put this on since it's never been done before. And I'm like, yes, it absolutely <laughs> is fucking neat. But <laughs> yeah. um, you're being a fucking cock turd. Yeah, total. Yeah. yeah. Le coq sportif. <laughs> <laughs> so you uh, got closer and closer to Pilote outside trying to convince him to... Um, to, uh, to, to waive the best bar in San Francisco. Wave the fee. Check it out. That's what we heard actually from someone local. It's the coolest. It's pretty great. Yeah. It was the first lesbian bar ever in San Francisco. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Not anymore. But not anymore. But it was. Now it's a poets bar. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. It's pretty great. Wh- podcast. Uh, about the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be performing poetry in uh, in a little yeah, it bit. Starts at eight. Yeah. It's free. Yeah. Uh, poetry, at eight. yeah. poetry at eight. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Nice. Where are you from? Finland. Finland. Oh, welcome. welcome to San Francisco. Thank you so much. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see you at the show. Yeah. Or just have a few drinks and stroll around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. There's lots of food around the here. Restaurant next door is it Tokaya or Toscana? It's pretty good. Okay. Oh yeah. Uh, it's it's not on yet, but it's 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 called over social. Over social. Over social. And trust me, I made up the word, so I, it's the only thing you'll find. <laughs> yeah. But it's gonna be a great show. Yeah. Tonight's gonna be awesome. Uh, four four poets should be cool. Well, just put on a mask. Yeah. We're I'm I'm gonna wear a mask the whole time inside. But we're friends, so I'm not, I'm not worried about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They do check back cards, too. My very first book of poetry, In Search of Midnight, was published by Right Bloody Publishing. That was started by Derek Brown in the early aughts. I can't believe it's been, like, 20 years. Uh, Derek and Right Bloody have published... Dozens and dozens and dozens of books of poetry, some incredible collections of work by people that you may not have heard of had it not been for a small publication, an independent publication like Right Bloody. There are so many out there. 
And if you are in any way whatsoever a fan of the work that I've done, the stuff that I've put out, then I highly recommend that you check out Right Bloody Publishing. Go to rightbloody.com, check that out. And also, just look up, look for a, a local publisher in your area. See if there's a small publication, a small, a small print poetry publication that uh, is in your area that is local to you, and go and support them, especially because it takes it, it takes a a a uh, someone who lives nearby to really make a difference in terms of what gets read and what ends up getting printed. So please support your local independent publishers. And by doing that, you end up supporting people like me who never would have thought we would have ever gotten published. And it feels amazing. So please, if you can, do it. Those people wanted to fuck. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and I stopped it so there's no context as to why you said that. Uh, and I like it that way. Oh, you stopped it? I just, well, I just turned on him like, yeah. these people want to fuck. Yeah. It's going to be, it's gonna be a I'm weird, talking like, about you and me. Coming in from a break, you know? Uh, I love it. Um, so, uh, what was I going to ask you? Oh, we were, so we were talking about Pilote. Anyhow, oh, yeah, you almost anyways. punched Pilote. Uh, this is kind of when we got closer to each other, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. by all means. Let's, let's keep going like yeah, as if it's going. I know. <laughs> um, and then, um, uh, but we had a great time in Paris. And that was the thing. That's when, so it was it was the the time I saw you prior to that was Ojai. And then we, we met up in Paris at the Louvre. And you you were like, and my memory on this is is, is pretty phenomenal, uh, because I had a I was supposed to get a check before I got to Paris. And when I got to Paris, I literally had twenty seven dollars to my name because the check showed up the day I flew out. Have you ever showed up somewhere without stuff you need in order to operate as human, but then it all works out? Always, <laughs> always. Tonight? To, no, tonight's fine. No, tonight. tonight. Remember, you're like. Wait, I need a vax card to go somewhere. Oh, right, right, right. No, it always works out. But yeah. you know what, though? Like, I feel it's like... A, like it's like the universe smiling, smiles on you. It really does, man. I, I mean, like, like I, feel like a pretty, I feel like a pretty lucky guy. Or I don't let things get to me too much. Yeah, yeah. But I've noticed it in my house because I have two housemates. Uh, they're 28, really good guys. Mm-hmm. Really, they mean well. Um, but I am a grumpy fucker sometimes. I've never seen it. No, because we've never lived together. Oh, that's you know? true. So, have you? When's the last time you had a non? When's the last time you had a non, uh, romantic partner housemate? Two thousand. Damn, you're like I'm done. I will never live with he people ended again. Dating my girlfriend, and so I was like, I'm never doing this again. Yeah, no shit. He dated your girlfriend like right after you, like you guys broke up and then they got together. It's interesting. I told him like, Hey man, um, I'm kind of having problems with my girlfriend. She told me like, she's okay with certain drugs and stuff. And I was like, I'm not okay with cocaine. Yeah. And, um, if you ever see her at a party or something like that and she does cocaine, would you let me know? And he comes to me and he says like, man, this Saturday at Josh's house, Uh-oh. a bunch of people doing cocaine. And I was like, oh, I got to talk to her. I was like, Hey, you told me you weren't going to do that stuff. And then my roommate saw you. 
And then uh, she was like, what's the big deal? And I was like, I told you that it's fucking gross. And like, who, what the, what's in the fucking Miami Vice? What are you doing? <laughs> and um, so she was like, we need to take a break then, reassess. And then they had taken a trip. They had taken a trip together the following weekend. Oof. Maybe to do some Coca-Cola. <laughs> uh, and then I was really hurt. And I was like, man, I got to not roommate with this guy. This fucking sucks. Yeah. And then I ended up easing all the tension between her and him. And yeah. yeah. Um, when the, and we were all fine. See, it was like kind of like we should just not been together and be like, oh, you like this? I don't like it. Let's not be together. Yeah. Instead of like, let's figure it out no matter what. Yeah. Oh, that's the story of my life. So, so, so then I have a question for you. Then... That makes me think of the, you know, like, how many relationships have you, like, really tried to work out? You know what I mean? Four. Four relationships. Yeah. And you were like, I'm going to make this work or we're going to make this work. Man, that's a good question. Um, when was the last time you had sort of a mutual approach? I, I mean, I'll say names because I don't think the ladies would mind. But I think um, just first names with Lizzie, uh, we went to therapy together to try and make it we work together. Uh-huh. With this is Rebe- most recent, yeah. yeah, and then with Rebecca before that, it was me being like, "Please like me. Mm-hmm. What do I got to do to not make you feel like I'm a nerd?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, that was me doing it all. Mm-hmm. And then with JB uh, in Texas, um, I felt like. There was just clashes of styles with how we dealt with our tempers, and mm-hmm. um, we we didn't go to therapy or anything. So I don't know. Maybe neither of us did it there. And then with Amanda, she was as young, and I was in a new state, and um, and then the kid thing came up, mm-hmm. and uh, she was like, "I need a kid within two years," and I was like, "I don't." I don't know. I told you maybe, and that doesn't mean like yeah in two years. That's totally right. different. So that like the kid thing caused a rift with us. So maybe that's me not trying and her. I don't know. She, afterwards, she said she wanted to do counseling. And I was like, I don't know. I can't change her. You just want a kid with someone, like not me. And I don't know. It wasn't really fair. And I wish, I wish I would have like tried to see her need for a, a kid in a different light and was a little more patient or something well i mean but i mean w- wanting to be a father is very important in that yeah you know? and i think when i said things like maybe it's kind of like i don't know maybe i'll live in france maybe right. i'll live in mexico like yeah. all that everything's a maybe in my life sure. and i think if you say that to someone who like might want a kid comes yeah. from a big family they're like oh this means this dude is probably going to want a kid with me yeah uh when to me it's like possibly 100 percent no possibly 100 percent yes but I am not decided no matter what. But right now, if you ask me, no. Yeah. I think that hurts someone, you know. Once yeah. You kind of like, like someone might fall in love with Jesus Christ or something. Or like the idea of babies. Or like, I gotta, I gotta live on Hawaii or something. And then you're like, oh, these are big changes I don't agree yeah. with. And like, it's interesting to try and be an adult and figure out how to be fair with someone and not have a thing crumble. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's the... I'm still learning. It's so now. If, if has there has the has the kid thing popped up again in any of the? No, I've never felt a, a, a hunger for that. Yeah, but has has any anybody you've dated been interested in having a kid? 
No, but everyone I break up with then gets married and has a kid. Oh, interesting. Everyone. Wow. How does that, how does that make you feel? That maybe my desire to not have a kid is ruining someone's deep down desire to have a kid. Hmm. Where they might feel like, oh, you know, it's not a big deal. Maybe I don't want it. And then once they meet someone's like, I totally want it. They're like, oh, actually, I totally want it too. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I, I don't really want ice cream. Do you want ice cream? And then if you're like, I fucking really want some cookies and cream. I'm like, now that you say that, I really want some too. Yeah. So I wonder if that happens, but I don't yeah. know. So most recently, you had you had a pretty recent breakup. Yeah, yeah, back uh, back in September. And I hate the idea of comparing like this to that one, that one to this one, and what have you. Uh, but w- how long is the how long did the grieving process on this one last? And and did you have a grieving process with the others? I remember I remember what you, I remember with uh, with Amanda because I was around you a lot yeah. during that time during that breakup. Um, but. And I know that was rough for you because you really cared about her. All of them, yeah. yeah. Um, JB, Amanda, Lizzie. Which one was? Rebecca. Oh. Which one? Which one do you think has had the most lasting sort of impact? Main. Uh, um, well, the, your most recent one is always obviously. the one that you're like, how could I not make this possible marriage work out? Like, how did this person? feel like I didn't want them or or that they they didn't want to have sex with me or whatever like how come they didn't want to marry me or you try and think of all these how come how come things and um, I I think if you talked with her she'd be down to talk about this too and uh, um, I think I forgot the question (laughs) Uh, the um the sort of the grieving time for you. Oh, how long was it for me yeah. in this last one? A different, like impactful thing. We're like September, October, November. I just cried every day. Yeah. And, uh, there was one day I didn't cry when I was going down the coast and I woke up in, um, in Morro Bay on the beach. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I didn't fucking weep today. And like different things make you weep. You know, you see your ex with a new partner or their partners with your dog or something. All that stuff burns, you know? Yeah. Um, but I feel like, I feel like this kind of like anger inside of like my life getting tweaked. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of helped me to not grieve. Yeah. I haven't been crying. I have been enjoying my life. I've been making plans. I've been planning trips. And it helps a lot to move on. I, I've noticed with with you that in a lot of your breakups, it, it's you're 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 almost always in another state with that person. Oh, and then I and try then you and come back, yeah. And re, re. Yeah, I feel like I'm a person that is a little sentimental about places. Yeah. And like, if I go down roads we went to or places we camped mm-hmm. or whatever, it fucks me up quite a bit. So I definitely need Distance. a scenery heart change or whatever you call yeah. it. You know. Can you so can you go back to Tennessee? Can you go back to Texas? Are those are those Tennessee's places? different because um, that's so much time has passed. Yeah. And, and Texas is like I would never go out back to Elgin where um, sure. where we ended up. I mean, maybe to, uh, for fun. I drove past the house once, and that was a tearjerker, you know. Sure. Yeah. But um, well, you love Tennessee. It, would be so. fine. I think. Yeah. I, I hung out with Amanda in Tennessee and it was fine. And then we realized, you know, we're not going to be best friends, but 
this can be cordial. Yeah. And then JB and I joke around online, but we're not like eager to hang out if she ever comes sure. to LA or something. Do you and then Lizzie, I just don't talk to, but that's, yeah. you know, it's cause of a recent it's thing. pretty fresh. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and Rebecca, Rebecca and I text jokes back and forth or not jokes, um, uh, <laughs> herbal medicine ideas and sure. stuff back and forth. But none of none of it like, man, I miss you. How's your life? None sure. of that. <laughs> uh, of of those four, who do you miss? I mean, uh, uh, no, the three prior to Lizzie. <laughs> Let me rank them. Uh, <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. But joking. I mean, do you miss all joking. of them? You know what? Missing's the the wrong word for me. I wish they wondered about my life and wanted to check in and be like, how how are you? Like, mm. what are you up to? Like, man, I remember these good times. Like, yeah. that doesn't happen with any of them, and I just. It's I wish it would. I feel the same way. But I also don't want to violate their relationships and yeah. make them feel odd and be like, hey, just want to let you know, I remember this one cool night, we banged in the sand, and <laughs> you know, and not be a dick, you know? Yeah. No, I got you. Uh, it's, it's interesting, too, and I've noticed that, that I'm, I'm, I have this habit of finding somebody very attractive, and then, uh, and then I can't understand why they're they can be kind of an asshole or because then I mean an ex yeah and I, because I start to like when we're I can look back and go oh yeah they were kind of a dick that time they kind of they kind of hosed me on this thing they 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 made me feel like shit for this thing you know and I'm sure I did things to them too but it's I apply such a filter to the women that I'm attracted to and drawn to Man. that I don't see what everybody else might see you know, whereas like I'll have friends that'll be like, I'm really glad that you, I'm, re- you know, they're happy when I'm break up with somebody. I, I had a friend, I, I went with my, I won't say who, but my ex, we went and had wine in her backyard. And then, uh, you were exes, my partner, um, got like really flustered on this discussion about women's empowerment and was like, you, you, just, you don't know. And then stormed out of the backyard. Oh. And I looked at my friend who had set up the party and I was like, um, sorry, I uh, I don't know if I just I should just go or, and um, and she gave this look in the eyes of like, I've I like, she was like, do not let this don't don't let this eat you up, man. Call me whenever you need it. And it was like this really caring look in her. I shouldn't say anything because she, yeah. she didn't want to overstep bounds, yeah. you know. And then when it's over, she's like, dude, I wanted to tell you like. How often did that happen? I was like, just so much tension. And I kind of thought like, oh, this just happens when you've been with someone so long. Yeah. I, uh, it's good to relieve that tension. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the longest you've gone single? Uh, maybe, well, seven years when I got out of the army. Yeah. But would you count that? I mean, do you count any of your relationships prior to that? You know what no, I mean? Like, I mean, like high school, I didn't have any girlfriends. Army, I didn't have any girlfriends. Dated one woman, but so, it was so, off and on. So, but you didn't, you didn't have any really like serious no, relationships. Twenty-seven until. was my first girlfriend. That's about the same for me. Yeah, twenty-six. That so. poor woman. <laughs> she got I the brunt ha- of it. I held in a lot of yeah. repressed sexuality <laughs> desires. Yeah, I bet. Her name was Noel, and uh, she was quite the sport. Being like, okay, we can do it in this parking garage. I was like, really, right <laughs> now? Let's go, let's go. Um. And uh, I'm sure that gets annoying. How, how after old a while. were you when you lost your virginity? Nineteen. Nineteen. 
But then I stopped having sex at like 21. When you found Jesus? 20, 21. No, I kind of thought like, I, I, I did a life goal plan, which was get out of the army at 21 mm-hmm. and then I'm going to get a job, probably a fire department, save up my money for two, three years, then have a house by 24. Once I have a house, uh, someone's going to fall in love with me mm-hmm. because of my stuff. Because <laughs> <laughs> the things I own. Yes. And uh, then I'll probably marry by 25, 26. And man, I had all of these goals. So I, my 26 rolled around. It's like, none of this has happened. I can't believe I fell in with poetry. This has fucked up my life. I'll never be a firefighter. <laughs> And then 27 rolled around. I met Noel. And I was like, hey, just want to let you know I'm doing this thing where I'm trying to not have sex until I meet the love of my life and get married. And she's like, oh, no, we're definitely having sex. I was like, do we have, I really like you. Do we have, oh, God, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then it was. Did it all the time. And, yeah. Um, it was uh, an awakening for sure. Sh- yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had it. There was a, yeah, my, my first time I was much older. I was 26. It's uh, late in life to be like, uh, sex is pretty cool. Well, <laughs> well, it, it's it's pretty late, but I mean, bear in mind that up until I was fourteen, fifteen, I was going to be a Catholic priest, you know. So that's right. And then and then it was like I never thought you had the uh, love of collars. <laughs> I'm not a collar guy. <laughs> I would have figured out a priest T-shirt, um, but I, you know, I think it was then another eight or nine years of me sort of longing and pining for various women who weren't into me physically Mm. um and figuring out like should i feel guilty should i wait for marriage should i should i should i and just having a lot of body image issues and just like not being certain just how atheistic i was Mm. and worried like is there a god that's going to look down on me because i wanted to have sex with somebody you know like and then realize i'm like no there's no god uh, and I can do all the, I can have all the sex I want. And man, summer of 2002, holy shit. Yeah. That was a great summer. It was like, there was, this, so I met this girl. And she I was, was like, summer 2022? No. What the hell are you saying? <laughs> F- fucking Michael J. Fox? Yeah. How about you leap in time? I know. I'm going to, I'm going to have sex for the first time <laughs> this year. Um, but, uh, but yeah. So, you know, I was like, like sex was such a, it was so taboo, and I had to just drop all of my bullshit about it. I had, to, I had to just get understand that there are people out there who might want me. There are people out there, and I just haven't found them yet, you know? And then the girl, this girl found me, and she was just like, yeah, twice a day, all summer. Let's wow, do this. Wow, man. Yeah. It was Isn't it magical to let go of those, oh, loosen those bonds of, dude? hey, um, are you sure you deserve it? Are you sure you should be going for this? Shouldn't you wait until love? Man, it's sometimes it's just powerful. One night, I've met some people who've never had a one night stand. I'm like, it can be powerful and beautiful. It can be so dumb. It can be embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. But living, being human can be embarrassing. Dude, is my shopping. Paul, shopping my Paul can says, be embarrassing. Yeah. You know? Paul like, Oh. Yeah. I haven't heard from him in a long time. He's thinking about, you know, what's weird is that uh, we used to go on double dates with him and his fiance and me and my fiance. Uh, she dumped him and um, I was there for him in yeah. Portland. And then I got dumped and then he was there for me. And then um, and then they became roommates. Oh, weird. Yeah. We're, yeah. And all they do is suck bush. All the, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not saying they're Republican, but they both suck Gorge Bush. (laughs) 
That's a perfect opportunity for us to go ahead and take a little break right here. We'll be right back. Thank you. This era of poetry and spoken word and performance poetry especially uh, has definitely suffered from the pandemic. The pandemic definitely did a doozy on what it means to be a, a traveling performance poet, a spoken word artist. Uh, it was awesome to see someone like Brandon Leak win the uh, America's Got Talent in 2020. Unfortunately, that also led to a time of not being able to tour. So Brandon couldn't, at the time, couldn't really capitalize on his win. Brandon is uh, relatively local. He's from Stockton, California. Uh, he has performed here in San Jose a number of times uh, and is doing what he can to help uh, sort of bring back the the fervor of spoken word. And so if you know of a poet in your local area who really should be on the road, uh, send them on the road. Uh, compel them to go on tour. Let them know that there are people out there in other cities, other places that would like to hear them. I know I would. I help organize various events here in San Jose through Poetry Center San Jose, which is a literary nonprofit. It's one of the oldest literary nonprofits in the Bay Area. And we are beholden to those artists who want to come and perform for a new audience. So let folks know if you know of a poet, if you know of a performance poet, especially who is itching, who has that wanderlust. Well, tell them to wander no longer and to wander on over to San Jose, California. Uh, have them reach out to me. We probably have a gig for them. And that goes in other ways as well, because I too want to get back out on the road. So you'll be seeing me out there, and I'll be seeing other poets out there as well. Uh, the idea of traveling and touring as a poet, uh, I think, needs to come back and it needs to come back big. Uh, but it also means that there isn't quite the same safety network that there used to be with Poetry Slams, where there were many, 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 just thousands of events that poets could line up uh, throughout the year. And it's not quite there right now, which means that a lot of poets will have to book their own venues. Cafes, bars, community centers, you name it. But I say do it. I say get out there, see the road, go with a friend. Uh, if you can, if you have a car and you can drive, get out there, do it. It's, it's really something. Uh, and I, I have a lot of mileage under my belt. Derek Brown has a lot of mileage under his belt. And we can tell you about it. Uh, all you got to do is reach out. Oh, Derek Brown. Derek Hello. Brown. Hello. Beaver Welcome Fever. back. Welcome back. Um, <clears throat> so I was asking you uh, earlier, I was asking you about uh, childhood friends. And you said you had, you got a, you got a few from high school. Uh, and uh, when you, would you, is Buzzy your best friend? I have a few, but yeah, he's yeah. one of my best friends. Uh, and I mean... When you when you think he's of, my best man. When you think of him, though, 
when you think of him, do you think of him as a friend or do you think of him as family? I, th- I think of him as a brother, actually, yeah. literally. Yeah. L- a literal brother. One time I was out to dinner with him and his dad, and I wept afterwards when uh, the waitress came over in Idlewild and she said, uh, Hey, uh, are you hanging out with friends today, Gary? And he goes, Oh, these are my sons. And it fucked me up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's that's some heartstring tugging yeah. right there. Especially if you yeah. got a hermit dad out in Texas, so it was yeah. super special. Yeah, yeah, I, I I can relate. You know, I have a a dad who's been in Germany most of my life. You know, um, I get along with him. You know, we do get along, but he's born again Christian. You know, and I'm not. Yeah. And uh, I think that 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 just that's just going to create a natural divide. You know, mine too. Yeah, um, but. Uh, one of the best stories I think there is to tell uh, regarding you and I is um, is Paul Mazier's book launch in <laughs> Southern LA. California. We're in L.A. Yeah, I can. I never remember. I'll, I'll I'll tell somebody a story from Southern California, and I'll be like, Yeah, you know, I was down in I don't know this place, and they're like, Oh, he, Santa Monica. Paul, Paul Mazier, the author, was so good at like figuring out how to get a booze sponsor and how to get a cool venue and how to get like slideshows, how to get people out and how to get a magazine to review he's yeah. so good at that stuff yeah yeah so it was like a souped up show it was a souped up but, show but super dumb yeah it's just there was just the it was the wrong crowd was there he would admit to that yeah yeah the, the wrong crowd was there paul's a great guy yeah uh i like paul really a lot. great dude yeah i love that dude um and uh great writer fantastic dude but uh so the show gets so you're you're very testy during the show. Well, because everyone was ignoring all the poets, the thing they were supposed to come for. Yeah, and they were just like, "I'm supposed to be here because this magazine said it'd be a cool thing," and I was like, "Fuck all these fucking piles of godless trash." <laughs> I feel I, I don't feel like godless trash, but I definitely feel like godless it's weird for refuse. Me to say that if someone doesn't believe in God that much. <laughs> um, just on Tuesdays, but uh, but yeah, so. <laughs> we get done with the show, and I remember we were, like, stacking chairs because, for whatever reason, we had to clean up. I remember that. Because we're the poets, yeah. Yeah, so we had to clean up. So we're, like, cleaning up. We're, like, you know, put stacking chairs, putting things away, throwing out garbage, you know, kicking people to the curb because the place had to shut down. Like, whatever the venue was was only open for that event. Yeah. You get done, and you're like, oh, man, there's a taco truck right over here, man. Hey, Mike, you don't mind. And so you got you got a text from Amber uh, yeah. saying, hey, get on over to Prince's house because <laughs> we're having – because the director of uh, – what was it? Uh, Sister of the Traveling Sister Pants of the Traveling Pants 2 was there. They were doing a, a little after yeah, the, party. Uh, daughters or someone he was connected to – Loved the movie and wanted Amber, her friends, and American, and any of her friends there. And that yeah. meant us. That meant us. It looks like we're going to Prince's house. So, so Buddy and a few other people were all in Amber. Yeah, they all Amber's went with Amber. DJ friend, I forgot his name. Yeah. A guy wearing shorts is all I know. Yeah. So we get, oh, Buddy was the one wearing shorts. No, he wasn't. Oh, it wasn't Buddy. It was the DJ guy. Oh, it was the DJ guy. Yeah, he's wearing like cargo pants or something. Cargo shorts. Cargo shorts. And so you and I, we get done at the venue. Not knowing that there's a little thing happening over at that there's there's a a, a squabble over at Prince's house. The bouncers what won't was let the him squabble? in. Squabble. Well, the bouncers wouldn't let him in because, because of his shorts. Yeah, and he thought uh, you know Prince is Jehovah's Witness, so if you could go drive down the hill, buy some pants at ten thirty at night. Yeah, and then put them on and really respect Prince's wishes to not see men's legs. 
Oh, is that and what so that was? Amber was like, and, and people were already roaming around Princess Half having yeah. a good time. And she was like, everyone, we're leaving. Yeah. Fuck this. Yeah. My friend doesn't have to put on pants to hang out. Yeah. She stood up for her friend, which was so good, awesome. Good for Amber, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and as we're driving there, I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Well, well, that was the thing, right? Is that you, so after the event, we're like, I'm like, wait, we're going to Prince's house? And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But first I got to eat these tacos. And so you ordered three tacos. I remember they're on a, on a little paper plate. And we got into your toaster car. Car that, that van that looked like a toaster. Oh, the element, yeah. Yeah, and uh, we, uh, I, I sat in the passenger seat, like twitching, twitch my legs, just like twitching, like we're on our, we're going to Prince's house, like save your appetite for Prince's house. There's gonna, there's gotta be food there, and I was just like, it's the most frustrated I've ever been with you because we're sitting there, you're sitting there, and it seemed like you were eating those tacos so slowly. You, you know, it's weird like, is that I time, think like, you oh. think Prince has a ton of food no no i i don't i don't know that but i also <laughs> was mostly craft singles in his but, fridge but as a professional fat guy i have been able to uh i've been able to just curb my appetite if i know food is in is, is i didn't imminent, know food was you know? there i don't know if food was there he might have been I, a papa I, john's guy i would have <laughs> 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 it's DiGiorno. uh but yeah, so I was just so stoked that we were gonna go, and I felt like you were taking so long to chew, and then finally, like you I have esophagitis, you, you finally, <laughs> you finally finished the last one. You're like, oh, thanks for thanks for being so patient, Mike. I really appreciate. It. You didn't know I was frustrated. I was, but I was frustrated. You didn't know it because I didn't want to. <laughs> there was no reason to be mad at you. It was just my own like desire to meet Prince, you know. And so yeah, mine was very high since I'm a huge fan. Yeah, and so. So what was funny was that you, you looked at me because you had yelled at the show. You had like yelled on the stage. At the audience. Yeah, and you're like, oh, I think I don't think I did a poem. I think I belittled them for 15 I minutes. I think so, yeah. And, uh, and then you turned to me. Amber said, like, that's my favorite set you've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. It was, it was so like. And then you looked at me, though, after you finished the talking. You're like, you know, I think I was just hungry. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and then and then you started the you started the 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 car, and then you got a text. No, you got a call from Amber saying, "Never mind, just come back to my house. We left. I'll explain later." My response was, "No." <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I mean, but no one ended up seeing him anyway. None of our crew saw him. Oh yeah, I think Buddy did. Mindy did. Oh really? Buddy said peed in his bathroom. Mindy saw the piano and roamed around a bit. And people were, were roaming the zoo of Prince's compound in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. And um, we were on our way. So yeah. close. So close. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you. But uh, we, I don't know. We've had so many good experiences. And I wanted to, like, I definitely wanted to express uh, <laughs> when when we met up in Paris. I'm going to go back to this. Are you about to do a bunch of apologies to me right now? No, no, I've been no, waiting no. for no. years. No, I don't. I years. You, I, <laughs> for years. <laughs> I owe you no apologies oh, whatsoever. Uh, no, just thanks, I guess, really, is what it is. Is when I knew that... Uh, I, I, I've always... There's one thing about you. You know, there's, there's certain people where you just know, like, l- loyalty is not part of their equation in life, you know? And you've always struck me as somebody who is... Uh, that, that means a lot to you. Loyalty means a lot to you, but in, not in a like like bow down to me sort of way, but more of a 
more in a uh, uh, in sort of egalitarian like like if I do this, you do this. If you do this, I do this. You know, we 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 trade mutual appreciation and and if you do a favor for me, I'm definitely going to get you back. If you do a favor for me, I'm definitely going to do a favor for you, sort of thing. And you've always been very good about that. But I, I feel you're one of the most generous guys I know. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, and it, it really means a lot to me. Um, going to showing up in Paris and being really like a duck out of water for sure for me. Both of us. Um, but <laughs> so I show up at the Louvre with no money. None. Not a, I, I'd spent. And I made fun of you, right? You did, <laughs> you did. You're like, who? Hey, Mike, who comes to Paris uh, without cash, man? <laughs> is this how my voice is right now? <laughs> hey, you guys, I just want to talk to you out there on radio I right now. I hope you get your gooby gashes on right now. I didn't realize That's I was crazy. interviewing Bruno Kirby. <laughs> There's a blast from the past, um, but uh, Bruno Kirby from those movies. <laughs> Everyone says, please welcome Derek Brown. He's the Bruno Kirby of poetry. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love, the more obscure a reference, Everyone's the better. Like, no, don't no, know him. No, no. He's the Dano Plato of verse. <laughs> 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 He's the Fred McMurray of My Three Sons. No. That no, was the dad. Don't know. That was the dad on My Three Sons. Anyhow, uh, so there was a point out in front of the Louvre. It was a very warm day. Uh, we just we just caught up with each other and uh, and you're like man I am thirsty and I'm like yeah me too and uh, I was like I, Derek I have no cash I even pulled you aside because uh, I didn't want to say to Aton and his dad that I had literally no money uh, and uh, because I know that that was probably a concept that would have been like why why would you come here without any of that you know and you just kind of took it and you're like okay all right uh now i know what i'm working with here and uh, you walked over to a vendor who had little waters little bottled waters and you got us petite. both little petite <laughs> petite water <laughs> and uh you um you gave me one and you had one and it was so small we chugged them they were so little and you're like but hey here's the deal we'll just go over to that drinking fountain over there and we'll just refill them and I was like, yeah, that's brilliant. Oh, my God, Derek Brown, you're brilliant. We go over there. We refill the bottles. We chug so much water. And then we go about our day. I don't know where we went from there, but we, we went somewhere. I think we went to a cafe or something. And I got what I could only describe as dysentery. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a, and I, I don't want to. Uh, fuck this place. <laughs> <laughs> And there was there were moments. Uh, thankfully, you know, having spina bifida and having some, you know, needing to wear uh, adult undergarments uh, that saved me big time. Uh, I always thought you were Mormon. I was like, why yeah. does he do this? Yeah, <laughs> why does he wear this? Yeah, he pokes his weenie through that little hole there. Um, but uh, but you, there was a moment on the subway in Paris. I think the next day, where I had clearly had. Um, uh, relieved myself and there was a moment I just looked at you sweating I was like drenched I was because I was I was so ill and you just looked at me and you're like I think it just you caught it the you caught a, a, <laughs> the, a whiff you know and you're just like okay all right and it, the train was did I say bonjour <laughs> there was a moment the where yeah, mailed um 
there was a moment where uh, you basically pushed, you made a path, and you led me out of the train and out of the station. You made me wait outside on the sidewalk outside of a very large McDonald's. You went inside. <laughs> you made sure there was an empty stall. You made an attendant hold it for me. Then you came out and grabbed me. You brought me inside. And then when I came back out, you said, okay, wait here. And you went and you bought me a Sprite. And you came out and you brought me the Sprite. You just, you became my big brother, you know? And it was... A long time ago. A long time ago. Dude, that's, yeah, seven, 17 years. Whenever yeah. you need a Sprite and a place to shit, I'm here for you. <laughs> And I appreciate it, but there's anyone out there. But and that's who the needs it. <laughs> we didn't know each other very well, but we 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 were we liked each other. You know yeah. what I mean? When's the love last you, time I love you too very much? Um, and um, that's why I was like, like I said, you know, my my tears are family, friends, and folks. And I'm like, it's probably time to finally put you in the friend category from folks. You know, <laughs> finally. No, Thank you. but that's the thing is that there's um, no amount of time can go by where you and I can't just sort of pick up. You know wherever we wherever we've left off, mm-hmm. and I feel like there's there's a lot. One of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you today was because, um, or or get you on this this podcast is because I feel like there's a lot of things. My for for a long time now, I'll look at my life and I'll be like, okay, I'm failing in this department, and I really need to fix this, or I need to do this, or I need to organize this, or whatever. And I think, what would Derek do? Really? Yeah. I think that a lot. And, and so if there's ever a moment in your life where you're just like, man, I'm just not, I'm not doing it, you know? You've done it for me, you know? You've done it. There are a lot of people out there. Think of all the people you've published. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just that alone. Like the, I can't tell you. I, mean, I, I, know you folks. Kn- I know you know the joy of opening up your first box of books and getting that first, the f- flipping through that first copy yeah, of a new yeah. book. Yeah. feels really good you know well imagine like imagine what that means to someone who never thought they would ever get published mm-hmm. you know you created a path for all those folks mm. you know um who have you published that you that became I hated that <laughs> well i mean that list Let is me too start. long that list is way too long Here comes a list um of the people who's You've, who you've say who you've published or whose work you've come across, whether you published it or not, but you came across their work and became friends with them because you wanted to get to know them as a person. Mm. Is there anyone that fits in that category? Because I feel like with, you know, it's it's yeah. Who recently? Um, well, the most recent book is Shalene McElhenney. I see her posting videos of her making weird robots and cakes and laughing with her kids and stuff, and I was like, oh my gosh. She laughs like my friend Mindy and Kristen mm-hmm. and um, Amber and Tamblin, and I love that. I want to uh, just meet more people who mm-hmm. are open to like explosive laughter, yeah. like diarrhea laughter, <laughs> like on a subway, yeah. shitting your mouth full of laughter, laughter. Yeah. yeah. Chunks. Yeah. Chunks of haha. That's a person. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> There is, uh, I mean, you, you like also a woman named Tala Wilder that seems like she's a poet in uh, Oregon, and I was like, oh my god, she's posting videos where she is cracking jokes like my friend Wendy, and I love that spirit. Mm-hmm. It, it's it, uh, it's 
not so much I'm publishing them because I want to be friends with them, but I just love when some people are like, man, you have the same sense of humor as me. Yeah. And it is ridiculous. But, but that's what, that's why you end up making friends with people, right? Yeah. It's, it's, and I wouldn't publish them because I want to be friends right. with them. But it's like interesting when like, you know, you you meet really talented people and you're like, I really want to publish you because you're good. It doesn't mean we'll be buddies and text all the time. Mm-hmm. But some people are like, oh my God, you seem like uh, uh, wild at heart and yeah. you got spirit. And oh my gosh, that wildness uh, is so fun and funny to be around. So yeah. There's a lot, man. A lot of a lot of poets are getting better nowadays, mm-hmm. and so you meet a lot of people. You just admire them from afar. You don't know if they're wackadoo when you meet them, but yeah. Um, but I think people are taking more classes and seeing more poems online, and they're realizing what's bad about Instagram poetry, what is too slammy, and they're finding this sort of mm-hmm. better middle ground. And um, and there's better stuff out right now. Yeah, there's a lot of great work out. Uh, how many this is a total offshoot I also want to be friends with Clint Smith we've never hung out huh. but we both love soccer I'd love to play him and whoop his ass dude one of the greatest moments of my life was uh, I was performing in except I'm not good at soccer I'm pretty good I'm a good goalie yeah I'm an okay defender I'm the world's worst striker in the world so you can be on my loser team cool yeah. Let's go to AWP. Let's do it. And challenge some novelists who can't do shit. <laughs> uh, I one of the one of my favorite nights ever in a room full of essentially strangers was perform I was performing at, at the um, Poetry International Festival in Rotterdam, Netherlands, uh, many years ago. And um, it was during World Cup, which was in Germany, mm-hmm. just next door, you yeah. know? And so uh, you had all these poets from all over the world there to perform. We're in a bar, and there's a game on, and no one is invested in either team. So the bar decided, the whole bar sort of collectively decided that we were rooting for one of the African teams, right? Oh, Senegal? Who? I don't know. Oh. I don't remember. It didn't matter because none of us were into soccer. Mm. No one oh. in the bar was really into <laughs> soccer. But we ended up all getting into it. You know what I mean? We got really into the game and we're like cheering for our team and they won and it felt great. And, you know, and it was just like what a unifying feeling that was for a whole room full of people who don't know each other are now so happy together. You know, yeah, like we did this. I had that moment in Scotland or uh, Ireland when I was watching. It was like the Champions League or the Euro Cup or something like that. And it was Liverpool versus AC Milan. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Liverpool goes down zero three, and the bar clears. It's just me and the bartender, and I was like, "Who are you for?" He's like, "Big Liverpool fan. Looks like they've screwed their chances this year." Yeah. And I was like, "I'll stay and watch. I'll just be a Liverpool fan." He's like, "Really?" And he gave me free beers because I stayed, <laughs> and they had the biggest comeback in the history of football and soccer. That's amazing. So um, I yeah. was like, "I love that team." I used to love Arsenal because I was a actual artillery gunner, but. Um, yeah, that's that's my team, and it's yeah. really neat to feel like a bigger connection than like Americans have with their sports. Yeah, Th- that like sort of singing for your team mm-hmm. to lift their spirits is really beautiful. It really is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have you seen Ted Lasso? I have. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's really good, except for the Christmas episode. I saw the Christmas. episode. I think they tried to make that episode to lure in more uh, fans, and it, it lost the sort of magic of the show. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the last episode I ended up watching. 
Yeah, me too. I plan on watching more of it, but I'll watch more when I can like muster up the energy. But that like well, gutted me. Well, it's funny is that I was watching Ted Lasso while also finally watching Breaking Bad, and it's funny how one is very lighthearted, and one is very bleak. Dark, yeah, and yet the lighthearted one had way more cursing than the bleak one. <laughs> Remember when Ted Lasso um, has a panic attack? Yeah, it was such a beautiful, so powerful. Good, yeah. Fucking he does it. He, he has one. He has two, I think, two or three, and then the one, the one so when the the owner good. comes and helps him. Yeah, yeah, and she's the one like, who comes and helps him. This show is yeah. good. I can't wait it's to see solid. what they do for yeah. Christmas. Oh, yeah, you fucking did. Um, Love actually. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Ah, you know, whatever. I mean, every yeah, show, but, every know, show maybe, jumps. Maybe the it was calculated, and they brought in a new million viewers because it was like. Oh, so sweet or yeah. whatever. I was like, oh, this show isn't all sweetness. And it's like not. colloquialism. Well, I also didn't realize uh, the guy who plays uh, Roy. Yeah. Uh, he's one of the writers. He's one of the writers of the show. Yeah, Roy Kent. Yeah, Roy Kent. He didn't know yeah. if he should do it, yeah. but he's fucking great. He's so good. Yeah, yeah. I'm also Roy Kent. You are. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if I should do it. Uh, who You've made friends. So you're a bit of a renaissance guy. You, you know, poetry, publishing, uh, porn, and, but you've always, you've always gravitated towards humor, always. Um, And what do you think, what do you think, would you, would you consider yourself sort of a delayed comic? For sure, man. I, I I think I devoted like twenty years straight into comic uh, into poetry. Mm-hmm. Not really like if a show is really heavy, I wanted to do comedy. Yeah. And if a show is really silly, slammy, I would do something heavy. Yeah. Same. And um, not not to piss anyone off, just like create some balance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, I, like everyone's in love with tragedy. This show and like how mean their dad was. I do a poem about taking a dump on a plumber's face. <laughs> um, like you do. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Pipes. It's called Roto Rooter. Um, it's called Paris Parisian Subway. <laughs> it's called Brodo Rooter. <laughs> what am I talking about? Delete all this. No, no, no. We got death threats. We got everything. Um, yeah, so I'm a delayed comic where, where a bunch of famous comedians told me like, hey, just keep saying you do poetry. It'll be an interesting thing. But man, a lot of promoters are like, I don't want poetry in my fucking show. And I was yeah. like, I understand. I understand. I do some stand-up, but then I'll end up doing uh, uh, some comedy, too. You know? Yeah. I mean, some poetry, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, before I let you go, we will we will reconvene uh, down the road. There's so much to, to discuss. Uh, San Francisco band. Two, two more questions. Turn qu- around, back on your mother. Turn idea, sex with your mother. <laughs> you know that song? I know the song, but I'm totally blanking on who sings it. Third Eye Blind. Oh, that's right. America's most yeah. mom-loving band of all time. What's weird is that I used, I used to make fun of that band, and then now one of those songs will come on. If it comes on when you're on a drive, you're like, you know what? You know what? This is all no right. One can, God, can't see, God can't judge me. God can't judge me. <laughs> Yeah, see what you want, Jesus. Third Eye Blind's all right. I like that T T E B. They're still here for me. Yeah, three E B. Um, okay, so um, when it comes to comedy, when it comes to humor, is that would you say that everyone you've ever dated was funny or made no. you laugh? Are they not funny? 
Uh, one woman I did was super funny. Yeah. The rest were like hot. Didn't like when I joked too much. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Do you think that that so? Do you think that was a draw for you? I just I'm, I'm drawn to like super passionate women. Yeah. And that are like talented. They're all artists in some way. In some way, yeah. Artistic. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, or or like um, there's there's a deep fascination and passion in there. Sometimes it's aggro. Yeah. Which is not great for me wanting to be mellow or whatever. Totally. But I'm just sucked in. Mm -hmm. So I'm learning now, like, okay. um, And also people change, you know. Mm -hmm. But I am. uh, You might have been aggro in your 20s or early 30s, but maybe you're like a little more smoothed out. Me too. In, In a lot of ways, the one the one thing I could wish upon people in their teens and 20s is that they uh, that they were able to understand the mindset of people in their 40s and 50s hmm. you know because I think it just mellows people out you know yeah man uh, I yeah yeah but yeah I dated a, a super a super funny person it, it didn't work out but she's super happy and married and yeah yeah is it important for you to remain friends with your exes no or, no, like I mean, I I do love sending a message every now and then, being like, "Hey, your yeah. kid looks so fun," or your kid's forehead's super big, or like um, <laughs> I guess I guess what hey, I your mean, your kid has a big butt, you know that kind of <laughs> stuff. I guess what I mean is is would it break your heart to just never communicate with them again? I think so, man. I don't think you ever stop loving someone. Right. I think it's a myth to be like the relationship's over, so like the love is dead. Yeah. Not for me, man. Like yeah. I will always love you. I will always try and touch your boobs. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's no, uh, no. Uh, uh, so, yeah, no, you're not yeah. gonna edit it. You're not. You say you want to edit anything. No, I'm not gonna edit anything. No, no. The truth is that I will always love someone, and uh, because once that love gate cracks open for me, yeah, I'm just locked in. Like there's something about you yeah. that is really special and it's really rare. I've been in love like three or four times, you know. Yeah, um, and that's lucky. Yeah, it's so hard to find someone to love. And I feel like I'm not. Uh, it's gonna take a while. Yeah. But um, you plan on uh, hanging out single for a little while? Right I have now? no, no aggressive plans. You know. Yeah. Uh, any advice for anyone, just re- with regard to friendships and relationships? Absolutely. Uh, in what sense? Anything you can think of. Um, if you are uh, uh, relationship advice, uh, if you are in a relationship and start to feel shitty or let down or awkward or distant. If you're with someone that has resentment or can't share that, just end it. If you ever break up, never get back together. That's mm. my advice. Okay. Be, just realize that like every breakup is for a, a, a reason mm-hmm. and getting back together is just... Um, um, I don't, you know, I don't know. Natalie Wood and Robert Mitchum go back together like four or five years later. Robert Mitchum or Robert Wagner? Robert Wagner. Yeah. Robert Mitchum never got back to no. anyone. He's a real piece of shit. Yeah, that guy. But he had a cool deodorant. He did. Listen. And a, a nice chest. Yeah. Um, yeah, my advice is that like when it's not working, have a d- discussion about it and be like, hey, is this too difficult? Is it fun? Are we growing? Are we laughing a lot? Or are we like wondering why you won't kiss me? Or, or are we wondering why you feel like um, not calling me when I'm traveling or when you're traveling like when that starts happening 
that's that's not a good way to end this short life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. cut that shit off. Yeah. Uh, la- very last question. Uh, name two people. This is the, the novelty portion of the podcast. Name two people you think I should meet and interview for a podcast to try to become friends with them. Do you want women or men? Doesn't matter. I think you should interview Christina Catherine Martinez, an amazing comic art critic. I think you'll get a lot of magical stuff out of her. Um, and then and then before she blows up. And then also, um, I think you should interview Buzzy Ennis, a guy who used to be a pastor of like a really large church mm. who quit. Yeah. Uh, which is really fascinating. I've, One I've of my always best wanted friends. to meet Buzzy. Yeah. Yeah. I've always yeah. wanted to meet him. I don't think we've ever met in person before. I think those two would be really fun. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I love you, Derek Brown. Thank you. Love you too, homie. Peace. Big thanks to my friend Ben Henderson for the music. New episodes of Over Social will be available to my Patreon subscribers on Thursdays and on Mondays everywhere else. Follow me on Instagram at MightyMikeMcGee and at MightyMikeMcGee.com. Next message. Hey. 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 End of message.